Hi, Jamie. Welcome to the show. And um, thanks for coming on and talking to me today. Wonderful. Thanks for inviting me. So I came across your work with you directing Becoming Nobody, the Ramdas documentary. So just for a little bit of background of what kind of what led you into taking this project on and how did this unfold? I've always absolutely loved Ramdas. He's like he was like the beginning of the whole self-help world in the West, coming back from India with all the wisdom he gleaned from his teachers there. <clears throat> and the reason I love him so much is he's so funny and unpretentious and so kind of the opposite of pious, so compassionate, so wise, so funny. Just He was just, the moment I heard him, I was just always like, oh, this is my guy. He's hilarious. And um, also he uses his own melodrama as the teaching. So he doesn't like, you know, hide away from his own shadows and his own drama, his own humanity. So I just loved everything about him. And um, a couple of the movies I made earlier were under the brand called uh, One Giant Leap, where we traveled around 50 countries and we made music with all the cream of the musicians. And we interviewed all the great thinkers and writers and chiefs and gurus and criminals and all kinds of people about the big subjects of life. And Ramdas was in that and was beautiful in it. And And I'd already, when I was in my 20s, a long time ago, decades ago, done a retreat with him and read all his books and had always stayed in touch and just I've just loved him you know like for me like he's by far the best access point for things to do with spirituality psychology he's very very light about it you know he doesn't make it a big deal he's not got a big ego trip going I'm so pious look how advanced I am look how many years I've meditated you know he's not that energy at all and that true humility, you know, not humility, which is like doing humble. He actually is humble. Um, so anyway, I've always loved his stuff and especially the humor, especially how how hilarious it is. And even though he's been in a few films, <clears throat> none of them were really, really, really funny. And um, I just thought to myself, you know, I really wish something there was the Ramdas greatest hits movie of all his greatest stories, all his greatest way takes on the wisdom, all his funniest ways he expresses things. So I just called up the guys and they, they knew me already. The, the, the Ramdas crew, they knew me because he'd been in a couple of my other films. They just, you know, we all know each other a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I said what I wanted to do. And they said, yeah, great. And gave me the keys to the archive of all his videos and said, go right ahead, Have, you know, enjoy. And that's what I did. Yeah, the humor is an interesting point, because one of the things that it, it really struck me when I was first listening to him, I, I listened to, um, I've I've picked up bits and pieces here and there, but like, I, I listened to the audio book of Becoming Nobody with all those lectures in full. And he sounds like a stand up comedian. That's like yeah. talking about spirituality, like his timing, his inflection, like, he, it's very interesting. It was it was really unique. I, I hadn't heard very many people in that space that was that funny and really seemed like they were like setting up punchlines it was it was very interesting to me and that came across in the documentary too like you guys were very lighthearted and humorous about it could, could you speak to the importance of keeping that kind of lightness and like in humor and humility in, in these yeah. kind of topics i mean there are all different models you can follow the one that seems truest to me and as i said i'm not putting it on you or any of your listeners but the one that seems truest to me is that when is the ego is the least in control 
when we're laughing at ourselves, when we're not being competitive, we're not trying to raise ourselves up on a pedestal, we're not trying to be special. Um, and so the ego, one of the great ego traps which takes us away from love and, and flow is the addiction to, in, in all kinds of ways, the addiction to being high status, whether it be the most beautiful one, the most intelligent one, in whatever field you play, the ego, if you're a teacher, wants you to be a professor and the highest. Da, 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 da. <clears throat> if you're a musician, the ego wants you to be top of the charts and the biggest. Da, da, da. If you're someone who's always been told they were kind of good looking and was trading off that in your life, you want to be the best looking and, and you feel threatened by other people who, are, you know, the ego is always going to be doing that. So so one of the great ways to puncture that problem is to constantly enjoyably make yourself low status and the dance between high status and low status is the root of comedy um you know if you take straightforward things like abbott and costello or laurel and hardy you know the basic building blocks of humor is you have one of the people who is high status who's the in control conservative serious one and then you have the fool who's the low status bumbling disruptive one and so he's low status. But then when the high status guy is doing stuff, the low status fool trips him up and confounds what he's doing and messes it all up. And then there's chaos, which the conservative high status one can't handle. So he becomes low status and the fool becomes high status because he's kind of fucked everything right. up. And then the high status one tells the fool off and the fool's very repentant. So he goes low status again and he goes high status. And that going backwards and forwards between who's high status and who's low status is the basis of comedy. Uh, and it's the basis of wisdom. Um, so on top of that, when I'm teaching similar kinds of concepts, when you're getting on well with people, they're more open to you. When you're laughing <clears throat> and you're playful, right? when people are laughing and, and therefore in a bit more of a trusting space, their heart is much more open to receive and learn things that they can trust. If you feel alienated, like if, if if I'm teaching you and I'm like, I am on high, I've meditated for 50 years and I'm a good, and you're sitting there going, oh God, I'm never going to reach. And right. if you're feeling like alienated or like less than or different from me, then you're going to not feel the door is so wide open for you to raise to my incredible enlightened heights. Um, so, so keeping people laughing is a way to get them, you know, people just absorb a lot more... They, they, they've been some st statistics, and I'm not going to pretend I really know the research I'm talking about here, but I've heard <laughs> that they discovered that children learn much more through play yeah. than they do through sitting in rows in a classroom. Right. If you make it into a game and everyone forgets they're learning, they're just doing, they're just involved in the game, people pick stuff up much quicker. So all of my workshops are built around games that we play, around our inner critic around our addiction to being a victim and telling everyone, exaggerating our woes to people, around our, our blocks around creativity and, and terrified that anyone will see us as being anything than perfect, uh, the masks that we wear, you know, all that kind of stuff. When you play games with them and everybody else is fessing up as well and laughing at themselves and you're laughing at them and they're laughing at you, we're all laughing about how fucking crazy we are, a lot of progress gets made spiritually. How, how have you managed to kind of turn those things in, into games in a sense like is, is there anything that that you picked up from his teachings where he, he was he seemed like he was very good at like keeping himself on a relatively 
level field with all the people that were listening to him, even given how big of a figure that he was in that space. Yeah. Like, is, is there a way that, that you've managed to like, or certain strategies or methods that, that you use to like try to gamify yeah. these kinds of workshops and teachings? Well, one to gamify them is, is literally, I just think to myself, you know, what would I, you know, what do we need to do? Like, for example, the inner critic, What's, I think about it. What's the problem with the inner critic? The inner critic, one of the big problems with the inner critic is that it's a voice that slips in very insidiously. You don't kind of notice it. It doesn't herald itself. and go, hey, I'm the inner critic. Listen to me. It comes across as if it's your voice, your beliefs. It, it sneaks in. Okay, that's a problem. How can we stop it from sneaking in? I know. Let's have us all write down what our inner critic says on a piece of paper, and then let's perform them to each other in silly voices, in the voice of a fascist, in the voice of a drunk or a stoned person, in the voice of a spoilt whining child. We even do it in the voice of a porn star in the middle of a scene. Um, and uh, then next time that inner critic voice comes up in your head, it doesn't, it kind of attaches itself to one of those voice settings. It can't kind of, it ties a bell to its ankle. Yeah. So it's just like, what could you do that would tie a bell to its ankle? Oh, that might be fun. You know, it's just like that kind of thing, really. Just coming up with, and I've always seen the perils of being pompous. I mean, I'm I'm got I'm a very pompous person, so I see myself in the mirror, like wanting everyone to love me and think I'm special, you know, all the time. And I've been in in very successful bands, not so successful to your audience in America, but um, no, yeah, I mean, some of the bands yeah. I've been in in Europe were like the biggest thing for a few years. Mm -hmm. We were playing to you know arenas and you know fifty thousand people seventy thousand people so we would always have the the lead rapper in our group was a buddhist and all the raps were buddhist stuff in in lyric form so we would we were all very conscious about our personal progress as we were going through these very seductive times and um we used to have a phrase that, a, a mantra or a motto that was thrilling but not meaningful which means you you want to enjoy the thrill of everyone screaming and you know throwing their panties on the stage. That's that's legitimate. You're supposed to enjoy that. You're not supposed to be one of the very few people in in the human race who get the opportunity to be a pop star and not thoroughly enjoy the rush. You're meant to enjoy the rush. You're just not meant to treat it as something that means anything. That's important. That that's, that means you're special or means you've accomplished. It doesn't mean anything. It's just pure luck. Uh, that it happened that these people played it and they sent it to someone else. And maybe you had a bit of talent, you worked hard, but it's mainly luck. There's plenty of people who are incredibly talented who never make it. And there are plenty of people who have not a shred of talent who just walked in the right room at the right time and everybody loved them and their hairspray. So it's really luck. So to 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 take on a special person's complex because of that would be a huge mistake. And you would turn into a total doofus. But that doesn't mean you're not supposed to love every minute of it and autograph breasts and do everything that you want to, you know, like have a thrill. Just don't harm anybody else and don't believe your own hype. So that's kind of the same with spirituality is like enjoy, even if you think you've attained great, you know, even if you're really getting somewhere, enjoy it. But don't think that that means that you're better than like if you and me, for example, progress spiritually and have some great illumination or aha moment, frankly, Jake and Jamie, you and me, we bloody should with the amount of advantage and privilege we've had in our life. Right. If we're not having illuminations, then we're fucking rubbish. You know? <laughs> like we're, we are set up. We're wealthy. 
intelligent, good looking, living in the part of the world where there's no bombs dropping on us. We've got no real problems compared to the real problems of the world. Um, we're healthy. If we're not doing it, then we should, you know, we should really got to take a good look at ourselves. Yeah. So, so really with like, with all these things, it's just a matter of kind of, it's, you're, you're, you're not doling yourself to the experiences, but you're, you're lightening like the load a little bit and like how seriously you're taking yourself, how seriously you're taking the things that, that you're doing. You're, you're just kind of. The moment you say that the soul will never take itself seriously because the soul knows there's there's only there's no me and there's no you. According to the soul, we're all one being experiencing things in eight billion different ways. Yeah. Um, the soul knows that the soul doesn't deal with who's better than who. Just, just that's just not the level the soul operates at. So it can only be if you're getting into that kind of competitive, special, taking it all seriously thing, you are being trapped and tricked by your ego. Yeah. You need to have an ego. I don't believe that book title that says the ego is the enemy. I don't believe that at all. You have to have a big ego if you want to do cool stuff because you're going to be on the planet with your unique flavor, your unique way of expressing stuff, your unique way of getting excited and imaginative and being your unique gifts. That's all That's all the ego's individual personality doing stuff. That's fine. It's just make it your servant, not your master. Yeah. You know, without a big ego, you don't get Nelson Mandela. Without right. a big ego, you don't get David Bowie. Right. You don't get Madonna. You know, you need to have a big ego to do a great big theatrical expression that's going to reach lots of people. But you can have a huge ego without it being a huge self-involved, competitive, insecure ego. Yeah. So, so there's there's something about like you're you're not just like completely getting rid of the self and and like the things that that you want to do, and there's still room to like have some kind of confidence to like do the thing that that you want to do you're not trying to just get rid of that completely i've come here to have a human experience those right. so-called spiritual people that tell you that the ego is an illusion and all self is an illusion just punch them in the face <laughs> and then see how much of an illusion they think it really is yeah well yeah because one of the problems while i'm on like... planet earth it's real you know while i'm right. having this me experience in this jamie body in this Jamie world with all the Jamie stuff, it, it's real. I'm going to, I'm going to play the video game. Yes. I know the video game ends and maybe at the end of it, we will know it was all just a video game, but while I'm doing it, I'm going to involve myself fully in it. Yeah. In, in one of the lectures and you guys brought this up in the documentary where you made that point, he said something about not, not getting too caught up in being holy and just being human because like, that's the form that, that we're in at the moment. That that seems to be like kind of his his messaging is like don't don't get too wrapped up in like trying to like become something you're not and like just be a human fully. Yeah, while you're being a full, full while you're being a human, be a, be a human, be here now. While you're sitting in in full lotus position, touching the ninth chakra of baby Jesus and purple <laughs> fireworks, do that. If that's what you're doing on Sunday afternoon, great as well. You know, like that's legit. Is, is is this kind of messaging like this kind of philosophy like eastern spirituality is, is is that something that you've always been interested in or is that something that you kind of found when you were when you were in your 20s you you mentioned like the uh the buddhist yeah. lead i discovered it through suffering like most people you know i wouldn't have bothered exploring different stuff if i didn't have to i still right. don't do any evolving unless i'm dragged backwards through it i do i do all my evolving reluctantly um but, you know, I used to have chronic panic attacks when I was a teenager and 
I've also always been very sort of, as an artist, you know, I've always been interested in storytelling and music and visuals. So, you know, there was always going to be an attraction because, you know, the the spiritual, you know, when I went to Sunday school as a kid, I loved, the thing I loved about Sunday school was the story of Noah and the Ark and mm-hmm. Moses and the Ten Commandments and Jonah and the Whale. And, you know, I loved all the Bible stories. That was what I was, I, I've always very, I'm massively, massively into stories, you know, books and and um, so the the story side of Buddhism, the story side of Hinduism, the story side of Eastern stuff and Western stuff, I love all the stories. I just love them. And I love story as a medium for getting stuff across. But I also had chronic panic attacks, so I needed to go and learn how to breathe. I needed to learn Tai Chi to learn how to ground my feet into the earth and, and not just fly away into my busy head. I needed to I need to learn certain things for survival. And there's a lot more of it in Eastern religion than there is in Western. You know, they don't, there's no, there's breathing techniques in the Bible. (laughs) There's no no kind of learning how to ground your, but you go into the Buddhist stuff and especially the Taoist stuff, which isn't exactly Buddhist, but it's in the same neighborhood. There's all kinds of actual legitimate, proper, efficient ways to ground your energy, to breathe, to soothe your crazy nervous system, to learn about being compassionate to other people you know, some of the parables and the Good Samaritan are semi-interesting and useful, but I find the Eastern stuff is much more specific around actually efficient ways to live and be with each other. Yeah. Um, but all of that stuff is, I hope for you and your listeners, all of that stuff is usually confirming what you've already suspected rather than telling you something that you didn't know. Yeah. It's like you hear it, it confirms what you kind of always thought in your heart of hearts and you go, oh, that's my thing, Buddhism. But it wasn't like Buddhism taught you that. Buddhism confirmed to you how it seemed true already. So it's it's, it's kind of just like finding a, a voice that resonates with the thing that you already kind of believed yourself. In your heart of hearts, it, yeah. Yeah. So for for you, was Ramdas one of those voices? Like when you found exactly. that, you're, you're like, oh yeah, that's the guy that kind of is like articulating the things I've already kind of felt exactly and 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 you know like having been somebody who has been to a lot of kind of schools and places where it was very autocratic very bossy basically very down um and people very smug and and kind of pleased with themselves in their power hierarchies i've always found that disgusting and revolting and wanted it so the moment I see Ramdas, who's not doing that, and in fact teasing people who are, and teasing himself when he gets like that, I'm like, that's my guy. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 way more refreshing to hear somebody like like him lecture. He he's he's so good at at doing that and like diminishing himself, which I I think is it's it's interesting how he was able to manage that while being so big, because it seems like most, well, many figures weren't able to do that. Do, do, yeah, well, do, you, do you have on, a gauge on how he on how he managed that? Because it's true, right. and because he was so truly seeking truth that when he strayed from that truth, he could feel it. Doesn't mean that he suddenly reaped terrible karma and life exploded in his face. But for all of us, when we stray from our true truth, we know. You know, we've all had experiences where we've not been our best self, but we've done it anyway. Maybe we had sex with someone who we knew that they were more into us than we were into them, and this wasn't going to go well, uh, but we couldn't resist it because we were horny. 
or we all know we've time we've turned up at a party and we didn't eat before we went and we they had these delicious canapes and we ate more than our share frankly we were greedy because we, <laughs> they were too fucking delicious <laughs> and uh, you know we've all had times when we haven't been our best self yeah. But we know, hopefully, while we're doing it, what I want from you and from me and from all of the people in my cult uh, is <laughs> to at least to at least know we're doing it when we're doing it. Yeah. So just just be, being more aware and actually catching it instead of just being completely like oblivious. Yeah, and then so then <laughs> then busting yourself, but like the laugh, like the laughing policeman, you know, like la laughing your way to prison, you know, not being some big heavy trip on yourself. You go, yeah, that was arrogance. Okay. <laughs> I admit it. <laughs> yeah. How do you manage to like not beat, your, beat yourself up? Cause I, I, I find myself doing that when like I say something in an interaction and I'm like, Ugh. I'm kind of like mad at myself yeah. for the next like few days. Even the beating yourself up is part of the curriculum because to notice you're beating yourself up reminds you to be compassionate towards yourself. Yeah. So like you 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 act like a twat, then you cringe to yourself about what you've done, and then you go, ah, oh, you know what? I'm somewhere in the middle. There are people much more awful than me, and there are people much more holy than me, and I'm always going to be floating around somewhere in the middle. I'll try and do better next time. Yeah, it doesn't need a huge load of self-flagellation and condemnation in order to learn. I don't believe that's an efficient learning tool. Yeah these young parts of ourselves and we're talking about young parts that are the parts that cringe and fuck up and you know mm -hmm. these young parts of ourselves young beings they thrive and learn best with encouragement with patience and with gentleness they don't thrive very well being non-consensually dragged into situations. So if somebody's like their ego is going, oh, I'm going to really grow this year. I'm going to do five ayahuasca medicine ceremonies and drink double the amount of the, you know, whatever, stick some peyote in my ear. Um, th that's not very healthy for the fragile inner child who who actually needs gentleness, you know, and is being dragged non-consensually now into some sort of heavy fucking... So, I'm very, very much about like, what is the absolute gentlest, sweetest, most encouraging way I can treat myself and others, especially when we're doing our self-development. So just not like forcing things too hard to go too far to extremes. In, if, in we these practices. Believe, if we really believe that the soul is the one that sets the curriculum for when we're going to get the illumination, how heavy it's going to, if we really believe it's our soul, then just don't let the ego get involved. Just do it when it arrives but you don't yeah. need to force it when it's not around. Yeah, that 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 idea sounds very Taoist, and that that's something that the the, the I, I've I've always liked Taoism for that reason because I've I've never been attracted to like practices that like seem too for like even if it's something like like meditation where it's like thirty days like at this time you have to do it for like this long. I've always had a problem with that eventually. So is that is that something that you've always kind of been in yeah. touch with like just i've always you know i'm and i said you know there are a lot of people that would say i'm pretty lazy but on the other hand you could argue if you look at my body of work i've done quite a lot of stuff so it depends how you really want to look at it i do spend most of the day sitting on my ass looking out the window but that's yeah. <laughs> that's the artist in me um like you've got to find what works for you like um i think ramdas one of his early books is about meditation is is, is all about find the bit that works for you Sitting cross-legged looking at a wall might not be the best one for you. It might be dancing for you. It might be cooking. 
it might be you know singing and singing mantras or it might be none of those things like i really recommend to people like me and maybe you're like me as well that don't want to sit for an hour um i recommend that you do about 10 or 20 one minute meditations every day yeah because everyone can yeah. do that right so one of the things i ask my disciples is uh, i mean my students <laughs> is um to i say anytime and your listeners it may be useful for you anytime you use a key anytime you use steps or stairs and anytime you use a faucet you stop for one minute and be totally present with where you are and how you feel and the sounds and just not thinking about anything past present past future just be absolutely where you are with the sensations and sounds and then get on with your life if you do that 10 or 20 times a day it will revolutionize your life much more than 20 minutes of one meditation every day so just like little micro mindfulnesses throughout the yeah. day ra rather yeah. so so that you're like keeping that state with you rather than like I'm sitting down for 20 minutes and I get up and it all goes away. And then I kind of exactly it. better to have 20 moments where you entered it and left it. And then that the neuroplasticity of the right. brain gets 20 hits. Yeah. Making that groove default instead of just one. Yeah. That's why Ram Dass also says in my become a nobody movie, he says, don't get bummed around falling asleep as he, I mean, leaving consciousness is what he means. He doesn't mean actually falling asleep. Don't be bummed around forgetting that you're you know losing your wakeful awareness. He goes because you have to learn. If you want to learn being awake, that means you got to you got to wake up. So to do that, you need to wake up twenty thousand times. You've got to fall asleep twenty thousand times. Yeah. So because if you zoom back, you look at the falling asleep and the waking up all as the waking up um, process at work. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's. I mean, really, like the falling asleep is what is what trains it. Like you, you like you can't kind of train that muscle if you're not like constantly going back and forth. Yeah, you exactly. You keep going in and out, in and out, in and out, and then you get better and better and better at it. Yeah. With all the teachings that he has, there's there's so many lectures, and I'm sure you had your hands full with go, going through those archives. How how did you kind of sift <laughs> through everything to like come to those five lectures that that you had? pieces from oh, in the well in there's the, more than five i mean there oh and sorry yeah in, in, in the, the book there's like five of them but they, oh, they yeah, might have exactly. all they just picked the hits i had <laughs> i had chosen three quarters of the stories before i'd even looked at any of the archive i'd i'd already known the my hits that you know my favorite things you know the suit that the ego yeah. the somebody suit yeah um the stuff around death um being a great adventure the stuff around angry, being angry and difficult people are actually showing you where you're stuck um, and tons of other stuff. Um, so it, a lot of the archival process was finding the best version of that story because he repeats them a million times. Yeah. So it's to find something where you've got some good video of it, not just audio. And, um, and then, of course, along the way, me and my editors discovered some absolutely genius bits that had to go in like there's the bit where he's talking about he was meditating and he was having like a sort of six hour sexual fantasy <laughs> and nobody knew he goes i'm sitting there and, and the touch of the silk and the you know some mass geisha orgy going on in his mind and he goes and nobody knew i'm sitting there looking like i'm meditating i'm actually <laughs> having some big erotic experience and and it's hilarious everyone's laughing and and 
so you know when you find a clip like that you go oh that's that's genius that's got to go in yeah. also like the crochet story that very famous story that ends the whole movie um again such poetry so poignant so funny and you know you just then you start piecing them all together you know but yeah I, it, it wasn't like we just went from scratch into the archive now let's find some good stuff okay. i already had it i'd already cut quite a lot from audio things i already had a bit of a timeline before i even got the deal yeah so like just you already knew the, the direction that, that you wanted to take it yeah and yeah, what, for you was it just like like the, those are just your personal taste of like what i think is the best of him that's being an artist that's yeah. being a film director it's all about your taste yeah and you have to trust that your taste will match your audience's taste and, yeah. and the people that didn't like your stuff they weren't your audience and that's okay right for for him how, when you're listening to him how much of it for you is like what he's actually saying and the like the phrases themselves and like the intellectual concepts and how much of it for you is like the feeling that he's conveying because I, I find with me that like sometimes when I listen to him, most of the time, I don't even remember what he says. But to me, I just feel like as long yeah, as like yeah. as long as like like it, it he's like directly implanting a certain feeling and like using words as a vehicle. And to me, like that that's usually where I get the, the value. But I, I don't often remember even what specifically he's saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very perceptive of you to notice that. Um, I think I'm the same. And I don't think I can say how much is it this? How much is it that? But yeah. I run a teacher training um, called Bring It, Bring Your Unique Flavor to the World. It's, we run it every year for my for the teachers that teach my stuff. It's called the School for the Insanely Gifted. And one of the main modules in that teacher training is learning about teaching through transmission, which is what a lot of the Taoist teachers do. Uh, when they're teaching Tai Chi or they're teaching Qigong or they're teaching Taoist meditation, Partly they're at the front just telling you how to do it, breathe in, eight seconds, breathe in, you know, they're telling you what to do. But a big part of it is that they are filling the room with the chi of you already knowing how to do this. Mm -hmm. So you find that you're much better at it when you're near those teachers because they're generating a field of energy yeah. that awakens your candle of the same energy in you. And that's why even, you know, playing tennis, if you play tennis with someone much better than you, it really ups your game not only because you're being challenged more, but because just being around someone better brings your betterness to the front. Um, so if you're, he's transmitting wisdom as well as using words to clothe that energy. And you, by being in that energy field, if you believe in that stuff, a lot of people listening to your podcast being like, energy field, give me a fucking break. But uh, for some people, it's like nonsense. And for other people, it's like, yeah, there is a field of energy. Everyone knows if you walk into a room and there's just been some huge argument, you can feel, they say, you cut the atmosphere with a knife. Yeah, There's definitely energy in a room, you know? Yeah. And you can fill it up with good, juicy energy and everybody's morphic. Everyone's candle will burn brighter if you do. There's, there's a great teacher called Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. I don't know if you've come across him. Mm -hmm. He coined the term morphic resonance. And it's the idea that frequencies find each other. So yep. if, you know, the, a very specific literal way of that is like if you if you strike a chord on one violin and there's another violin in the room, the strings of that violin will start vibrating on that note. And um, so if you, how does he describe it? If you're going to learn French, 
He goes, if you go to France, you pick up French really quickly. Yeah. But if you sit in a classroom with rows of children trying to learn French, you're just resonating with many, many years of bored school children. And so you don't learn it very quickly at all. So, you know, they, he talks about the phenomena of like, if you ring me, you're thinking of, oh, I'll call Jamie up. Then when you're dialing my number, you're kind of beginning to vibrate with the Jamie anticipation of connecting with me. So that makes me feel you. That's why so many times the phone rings and you know who it is. Or the phone rings and you were just thinking about that person. That's morphic resonance. And um, so frequencies which are alike find each other. So when somebody is speaking with huge rage and bitterness, you're more likely to have a fight with them because it's going to bring your rage and bitterness up. It's going to vibrate that part of you. But if somebody's speaking with beautiful compassion and wisdom and humor, it's going to bring that part of you forward. Um, so that's kind of the basis of transmission is, is harnessing that morphic resonance and using it deliberately. When, in, in the documentary, you were talking about feeling and you, you had, um, you, you two seem to have a, a bit of a disagreement about sensation and feeling. And you, you were talking about it being in the body and he, he seemed to suggest that, that it was all in your head. Yeah. He went Did, back on that later. Apparently I wasn't okay. there. Okay. A lot of people didn't agree with him about that. And, and you know, it's just not the modern thinking these days. We all know the body says no when the body keeps score. We all know that somatic experiencing and somatic work is fundamental now to, while you're a human, to moving things through. And he and his, and his collaborators have been very disembodied. It has been very serious because they're all Harvard fucking professors. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. So of course they're all up in their heads. Yeah. Um, and I think he said to somebody I know before he died, something like, oh, I've realized, God, I just dis I just didn't take I didn't embody it at all, you know, like so I think that he had some second thoughts about that later. But I don't That's think there's any right or wrong because on another level it is all mind. It you know if if you go from the point of view that the whole ego, the whole human incarnation is a kind of an illusion, it's kind of a video game, then it is all just mind. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you're if you're feeling your solar plexus exploding with, you know, pain, the only reason you're feeling that is because your mind is interpreting that. It's happening in your brain. At the end of the, all perception is still being transmitted and being interpreted in the brain. And there's some wonderful books. I really recommend the book Incognito by Dr. David Eagleman, who's a fantastic neuroscientist. You know, like you can have your solar plexus exploding, but if I turn off part of your brain, you're not going to know it's happening. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in one way, he's right that the, the, the interface for the perception of that thing is still the brain, still the mind. But I still think attending to, attending to it in the body is, is a more useful and real way to live if you're going to live in a human body. So that's, that's interesting that him being, I mean, even at that age, like he's still like changing his mind on things and like progressively growing. And like, it's, it's just another thing that like humanizes him again, instead of him having being this being that figured it all out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's lovely when you figure something new out. Like I, I had a, you know, I, I rarely have aha moments when I meet someone who gives me an aha moment. I'm so grateful. It's so exciting. Yeah. Um, to get something out. Oh, fuck. Yes. 
like I used to be in relationships with women where I'd get very anxious and had a lot of mixed messages with them. And it would, I would get very addicted to the whole thing to the point where like, if everything was going well with my girlfriend, everything was fine in the world. And if everything was going badly with my girlfriend, everything was bad in the world. I was like totally sucked into it. Yeah. Um, and I was talking to this therapist about it and it was like, you know, like when it's going well, it feels just so fucking amazing. And the guy said to me, he goes, yes, Jamie, but is that love or is that relief? <laughs> It was just so, like a bomb from a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was such a great moment. And it just totally, re totally changed my whole relationship with women. Yeah. From that moment, you know, it was like really, really gave me something to really get, to yeah. really, to really focus on and check it and check. It, it, it seemed like Ron Ross had an ability to like, and it, it seemed like, like he did that a little bit with you, just like in, in what, what was seen in the documentary. Like he has this way of like, tapping and like, yeah. like pointing to certain things that just like kind of sets a light off when yeah. you're talking to him at that stage in his life he's very close to passing what what kind of feeling did you get from him about like this transition into that next stage of life or death or like however he wanted to see it i don't know i i didn't get my if i'm really being honest with you i didn't really get much of that personal stuff to do with death and the next stage I go through so many different feelings about it. I don't think I've rested. My intellect understands it's the next adventure and the soul moves on. You know, the ego's going to die, but the soul, nothing's going to happen to it. Um, and yet I'm still, I think, too much. I'm still so much invested in the human thing. I don't really quite grok. I don't yeah. quite let in the thing of the death not being me. To me, it, in my truth, if I had to stake my life savings at the casino, my my belief, and it's not a fixed firm belief, yeah. But my belief is that you die and that's it. <laughs> but I yeah, think that's enough. because I think that's because I'm mainly in my ego, and and that's true for your ego when you die. That is that is it, you know. Yeah. And because you... I'm mainly taking an ego stance most of the day. Yeah. That kind of seems truest to me. Yeah. You 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 guys talked about you know getting rid of the mask and. You have that saying that you want to be a permission slip for mask removal. Do, yeah. do, do you have a, a certain way that you found useful for helping first yourself lower that guard and then encouraging other people to do so around you as that kind of just radiates off? Yeah, I would say just like keep being sincere and keep playing with the thing we were talking about, about low status, high status in comedy, yeah. like enjoying falling on your face. Yeah. Keep enjoying being the, the fool. I'm I'm just starting a new movie at the oh, moment cool. uh, to celebrate what we're talking about. Celebrate the sacred fool. Like Ramdas is a sacred fool. I, I like I try to be the sacred fool. Um the idea that everybody's in the room being uptight and fake, going, don't, you know, with the elephant, don't look at the elephant. There's no elephant in this room. Don't look at it. And then you and me walk in and we go, hey, who left this elephant here? And everyone goes, oh. <laughs> yeah. That that's what I love, you know, disrupting the fake superficial pretentiousness of everybody's agreed consensus reality. I like disrupting it in a loving and groovy way. Yeah. Um, and that's what the fool does. That's what you know, Laurel and Hardy. That's what is, I don't know who the thin one is. Hardy. Um, that's what Costello. Whoever is the fool in that double act. That's what they're constantly doing is disrupting the fake conservative thing 
So finding opportunities to be mischievous and especially to sacrifice your own ego on the pyre to constantly be have people to be comfortably low status is super empowering to not care mm-hmm. about people needing you to be high status is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And also the other thing is like, you know, embodying it is the best way to teach it. Rather than say to everyone, hey, you should be low status. It's just by being really stupid all the time and showing everyone that you're enjoying yourself is the best advert for getting other people to be foolish too. For uh for for those who want to learn more about you or uh, get in touch with your work where where would you direct them and, and do you have any upcoming work along with this movie and then becoming nobody that's already out do you have yeah. anything that you would like to let people know about sure i mean there's two courses coming up there's one called the game changer which is like a 20-week closed group every thursday playing these different games you know with the shadow games and the honest relating games and the creativity stuff um, that starts in late march they can come to my website which is jamiecato.com or jamiecato.com forward slash workshops. Uh, maybe you can put it in the notes of the podcast. Yep. Um, and um, got a new album coming out this year called All Heart, which is nice. beautiful music, especially for people who like ecstatic dance and the, the people who like the five rhythms. Gabrielle Roth talks on the album a little bit, which is really nice. Cool. Um, and we have a free group twice a week called The Lovely Gathering, which is also you can find out on my website. I guess coming to my website, yeah, uh, will be the best. And watch, watch becoming nobody. Or and, and I've I've written a book that you can listen to on Audible or Kindle uh, called Insanely Gifted, and that's kind of the overview of the whole, the whole thing. Ramdas is mentioned quite a lot in the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thanks so much for uh, your time and for making that film. I I, I love the film. It was for for me like kind of getting into the world of Ramdas. It was really cool to to come across. So. Thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Lovely to meet you. You too. Cheers.